The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. Welcome to Skok Box. Here are your headlines this morning. The rally around China's reopening fades as U.S. markets make a tepid return to trade, leaving the S&P 500 on pace for what is its seventh worst year ever. That dates back to 1928. Now the Hang Seng outperforms in Asia as Beijing unwinds its strict zero-COVID measures, while local reports suggest Hong Kong will scrap COVID testing requirements for international travelers and drop its vaccine pass rules. To Russia now, which has vowed to ban oil sales to any country that adheres to the West's $60 per barrel price cap. It's also warned that it could impose further restrictions in the new year. And Tesla shares slump more than 10% as it's forced to slam the brakes on production at its Shanghai plant, putting shares on pace for their worst month, quarter, as well as year on record. Well, one thing that's for sure is that markets have certainly been looking towards recessionary fears, and that has been the key question mark then. Will these recessions be a little bit deeper uh, than uh, kind of predicted? And what is the essence then for the interest rate movement? So markets have really been focused uh, a lot on that. But certainly this picture has been a little bit worrisome now. The Nasdaq is set for its seventh worst year on record since 1928, to be precise, right? Should be falling around 19 or 20% this year. That makes it the worst year since 2008, when markets dropped off around that 38% figure. So it kind of does tell you how horrible this year has been on the market front, on the equity front. Is that really a pullback or is this just markets really getting back uh, some territory that they had, of course, gained quite so heavily, uh, particularly in 2020 and 2021? We saw the tech counters uh, kind of rally quite substantially. Speaking of which, let's get into those tech counters then. They have certainly been uh, uh, having a torrid time this year, particularly the likes of Tesla which has dropped off nearly 70% of its uh, market share then this year, dropping off 11.4% as well yesterday. Big question marks around uh, its production capabilities and facilities then as well. Of course, that Shanghai plant being the key reason, the, be- the worst quarter, worst year. And certainly even Elon Musk having lost uh, quite a, a large amount uh, when it comes to his uh, stock as well then. Uh, of course, having withdrawn quite a bit as well out of Tesla as well this year, having tried to go into Tesla. So all of these, the big question mark really is, having run so hard in the last two years, Is this year just a bit of a correction territory uh, sort of mix for the market front? As you can tell, Tesla being that big loser with NVIDIA also following suit. On the Chinese front, well, that economy is beginning to open up. What are the fears on this front? Is it a sense then that perhaps consumer sentiment is the big uh, element to, to worry about? 
and maybe things won't shift along as well as some would have hoped. That the growth levels in China won't necessarily be as great as some would have predicted. The likes of Alibaba going up uh, this morning around 5% in that picture, with Baidu also 4% to the good, so to JD.com. So will this be a sustained picture for the remainder of the year, though, or is it a sense of consumer fears coming into uh, the fray then? perhaps not so willing to spend as much as they used to are those consumers having been bogged down for the last three years or so, especially on the production front, which is what we've certainly seen uh, happen across the board here. A lot of factories also being closed, or the U.S. really not looking uh, to get into this picture as demand falters in the U.S. and Europe because of that recessionary fears. So... What do the treasuries then look like? So this has been another interesting picture, and they've kind of taken a bit of a hit, particularly on the U.S. front. Uh, when you take a look at that five-year, now still below that 4% mark, 3.94 uh, there. The 10-year has been very interesting too, that 3.837% uh, figure on that front. Quick look at the Asian market picture, which has been a little bit mixed. All of this following on, of course, from yesterday's announcement from China, saying that they're going to allow international uh, travelers now to not necessarily uh, get into um, that, uh, that period in which they'd have to stay home to try and uh, alleviate COVID-19. So the strict COVID-19 rules being done away with for the most part. You would have had to quarantine for five days in a special facilities and three days at uh, another facility then, particularly at a home or whatever the case might be. That has now been scrapped for international investors beginning January the 8th, 2023. Hong Kong also putting in their own measures and scrapping their COVID pass is the sentiment and the sense that we're getting on the news front. But you are seeing a bit of a mixed picture with the Hang Seng coming back after that uh, break from yesterday going up 1.3%, but a general red across the board. So what do we expect to see then when it comes to the European markets? Well, they're set to come up. The market will open in about an hour's time then, just less than that. But we are expecting a bit of red following on from the losses as well yesterday out of the United States. And uh, FTSE coming back online as well, having had an off day yesterday. So could go up around four-tenths of a percent. I'd spoken about it a little bit earlier on, and Hong Kong said to scrap its mandatory PCR tests for inbound travelers. That's according to local media, which reports that authorities could also remove the city's vaccine pass requirement. Now, uh, this would be allowing access to public venues. The move does come a day after mainland China relaxed its strict COVID measures for travelers. Meanwhile, the Biden administration is reportedly looking at precautionary measures for travelers from China. The move comes after Japan tightened its rules for those arriving from the mainland, with officials now requesting proof of a negative COVID test. Flight bookings to other countries soared after Beijing relaxed some of its COVID restrictions. This includes a mandatory quarantine upon arrival. Now, Giles Keating is a board member at Bitcoin Suisse joining us this morning to get a hold of this market picture and all things that are happening right now. Giles, good morning to you. Thank you so much for joining us, particularly in studio in this festive season. So uh, Merry Christmas to you. Uh, and thank you so much again. If we start off with that Asian front, that picture seems could be positive for some, but looks like the market is taking it a bit cautious. Why? I, I think they, people are still clearly concerned about how quickly uh, China really can recover. I mean, there are going to be so many hospitalizations. But personally, I would be optimistic on a three-month view 
for the Chinese economy and for the stock market there. Yeah. Uh, I, I mean, there will, I'm afraid, be human tragedies, but I think in terms of the economy, actually they can begin to pull out uh, by the end of, the, of that first quarter. Yeah, in that first quarter then, questions would be around things like inflation as well. The, that Chinese economy is now going to have to deal with things that, that perhaps the rest of the world has already dealt with. Does that give them a sort of delayed effect or is it just an upside risk that one would have to look at as well then on that front? I think later in the year that becomes a problem again. Uh, and, and of course, I think geopolitical issues will resurface big time uh, as you go later in the year in the, Asian, in the Asian region. But I think just short term, it's that prospect of recovery that's the dominant factor. Mm. Growth in China then this year, when does that turn to a more positive effect. And I say positive, you know, we're, we're obviously not used to China only growing at the uh, 1-2%, right? And, and, and usually a little bit higher than that. But factories have been hurt. Motor industry uh, of, the, uh, you know, of the country has been hurt. Um, con they've got weak demand because key trading partners like the US, like Europe, have also uh, are set to enter recessions very soon. Um, could that impact their growth levels quite dramatically as well as the consideration that the West is saying to themselves, we're trying to find a way outside of China. I think if you look at the internal China dynamic, um, you're, you're going to have peak, probably peaking of COVID cases on a province-by-province uh, -province basis over the next few weeks. And then you've got pent-up consumer spending. You know, consumer spending has fallen, savings have risen. And I think that will give a big push even with Western companies trying to ease back from China. That's the short-term outlook. Medium-term, I think that Western pullback can become quite a big negative. Yeah, so does that mean inflation has peaked to the end? I mean, it's a question that we're asking quite a few people, but it's the notion of realizing that there could still be uh, parts of, 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 of this economic spend that people are going to have to go out on. And with China coming back online, that could still peak that inflation number a little bit more across the world. So I actually think the headline inflations around the world probably have peaked, yeah. but that's not a cause for real optimism because I think people are perhaps believing too much that it's gonna come down quite quickly. Uh, so I think coming off the peak is one thing but I'm afraid the underlying inflation pressure is much higher than it was. Yeah. And I think that means interest rates are probably going to go higher than people expect. Yeah. That interest rate picture then as well, right? I mean, people are thinking that the 75 basis point hikes uh, of, of this year are perhaps a thing of the past somewhat. Is that really the case? I mean, we're, we're speaking about, yes, inflation may have peaked and maybe the pain is a little bit less in that front. But could you have still around 50, 25 to 50 basis point hikes for a sustained period of time going into next year? I think you, that is exactly the risk. And I think people have become very, uh, were very obsessed with 75, is it 75, whatever. And I think the message from the Fed is, well, we may actually slow the size of those rate hikes, but it, the level could go a lot higher than you're perhaps thinking. And so I think you're spot on. The risk will be we get 50 basis points, maybe some 25s spread out across the year and the Fed funds rate ends up going significantly above the 5% rate and then not coming down much if at all in 24. And that's not in the market. What's significant for you in terms of above that 5% uh, terminal rate? Then? I mean, what is a significant figure here? Five and a half, 5.75? 5 
I, I mean, that's the kind of area we could easily get to. And of course, that would tend to drag up long-term bond yields, and that in turn uh, will give a further, I'm afraid, negative twist to a lot of those tech stocks uh, which are very dependent on rates not going up. Yeah, it's it's going to be an interesting one. I mean, the rhetoric is still, we're going to fight inflation no matter what uh, the situation might be. We're going to, is it a case of the stance has hardened a lot more now than even before when inflation was actually going towards those peaks? And now they're trying to maintain the stance of, well, even though it's going down, we're still going to be hard on it and try to uh, cut it down as much as possible. Is that the right rhetoric for central banks? I, I think that, it, that, that is their rhetoric, and I think it is the right rhetoric. I mean, to be brutal, they started tightening too late. Yeah. Um, we got that peak in inflation for a number of special factors, notably the big rise in energy costs. But the underlying things, I mean, the labour markets are so tight. You know, wages yeah. are rising. That is going to keep inflation high and that's their problem mm. i want to go into the tech space i mean it's one that we're kind of focusing on a lot has lost quite a bit uh, over the last year or so um if you take a look at it it's probably lost what's it next to 7.4 trillion that's based on the 12 month losses then uh, or the drop off in the nasdaq particularly that's quite a bit this year i mean and 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 that could be symptomatic of the fact that it's run so hard for the last two years before this year. Do you think that is the case? And, you know, is this now just a case of a correction in the market and going back to those valuations? Or is it just a case of, no, actually, the fundamentals have changed quite significantly uh, for the tech counters? I think the fundamentals have changed. Now, there'll always be zigzags. We saw Tesla off 11% yesterday. Yeah. You might get a tiny recovery in that. But I think I'm afraid in a bigger picture, stocks that are valued on future earnings streams suffer when bond yields go up. And if you believe what I've said, bond yields are going to go up more. That's not good. Yeah. How much more pain then is there, is there in that picture, particularly for these tech stocks? I mean, like you said, Tesla having gone down 11.4% uh, yesterday. Um, uh, NVIDIA also having lost uh, quite a bit. Netflix down 3.6%. And they're struggling too. I mean, th they're finding other ways to try and get revenue up. It, I, it, indeed. I mean, I think it, it, there is further pain to come in the tech sector. And, you know, it's not just the higher rates. I think if you look at, say, uh, Alphabet, you look at Meta, they've benefited from really strong pricing power in online advertising. Yeah. That's gradually now going to be eroded as others come in. And I think that's, if you like, an even more fundamental factor than rising bond yields, yeah. which they've got to cope with. Yeah. This was supposed to be Meta's year. I mean, it was that big announcement of we're going into the, uh, the Metaverse, if I'm not mistaken, was, was the term that was used then. But that hasn't really come to the fore, has it? Is it, is it a case of it's that, that early investment stage into something and then we'll see the fruits later? Or is it just, to some extent, a dud? I think there is technology there which on perhaps a five-year-plus time horizon will actually become something we use a lot. I don't think it'll perhaps will be in the meta metaverse sure. all of our lives, but I think it will become important. But yeah, I think you're right. They were too early. That is as simple as that. Mm. I think that's certainly one of the, the key elements that I've kind of uh, taken out of this, really. A little bit of an early start, 
whether it works out in the end is going to be quite important. Giles, really appreciate it, though. Good conversation there. Giles Keating, a board member then at Bitcoin Swiss, having joined us for that space. We didn't even get to chat uh, that uh, um, crypto space as well, which is also been quite interesting nonetheless coming up on the show russia bans sales of oil to countries that accept the western price cap we'll have the latest after the break and for more of the reopening in china as well as the market's response check out the squawk box podcast Listen to CNBC's Beyond the Valley, the podcast that explores the biggest tech news from across the globe. Join me, Arjun Karpal. And me, Tom Chitty, every week as we bring you insights into the top stories, unpack the latest trends, and find out where the industry is headed. Now available on Spotify, Apple Music, and Google Podcasts. Welcome to Squawk Box. Now, Russian Finance Minister Anton Sulanov has reportedly told journalists that he expects the country's deficit to be higher than 2% next year. Uh, Sulanov reportedly blamed the G7 oil price cap, which he said was beginning to impact Russian exports. Now, this comes after the Deputy Prime Minister Alexander Novak report, reportedly warned that the Kremlin may have to cut oil output between 5 and 7% going into next year. Now, the Kremlin has announced that it will ban oil sales to countries that accept the oil price cap. The new decree is presented as an official response to what Moscow calls actions that are unfriendly and contradictory to international law. Now, the price cap, which has been set at $60 per barrel, is far below the prices at which Russia has been able to sell oil throughout the year and could impact the country's ability to profit from price rises in the future. S&P Global Vice, uh, Vice Chairman, that's Dan Jurgen, told CNBC that the price cap is successfully putting a dent in Russia's oil revenues. Russia is going to lose money because of this. And you know, this oil price cap, at first he sort of thought, can this work? But it seems it is going to keep oil flowing into the market and at the same time reduce Russian oil revenues. And I can be sure, we can all be sure that Vladimir Putin hates the idea that the Western countries, particularly the United States, are now setting the price, or at least a price cap, for his oil. Well, if we take a look then at what the Brent crude oil price sort of looks like as well for the year, uh, it has actually gone up uh, uh, over the last 24 hours or so. That's 7.5% uh, sitting then uh, in the year-to-date figure, should I say, rather, 7.5%, $83.84 uh, then. Uh, so a change then on the up for that Brent crude oil price. Of course, having seen it even head uh, down towards that $70 a barrel mark earlier this year, but now back above 80 and firmly so. But it did actually go up uh, quite substantially then in that picture. You can see above the $100 a barrel mark at some stage this year. Sustainability thereof, however, has been very difficult, now currently sitting at its highest level in about three weeks. So on to the uh, gas prices then, the uh, Dutch wholesale gas numbers, well, year-to-date picture. That's certainly uh, gone a little bit flat for this year too, uh, or rather for this uh, time being. This year, it has gone up 20 percent uh, that has uh, seen its picture go up to around 80 
$2.90 there. So quite interesting figures when it comes to the review then uh, for the gas year to date. Now, Europe's gas crisis has been a defining story of 2022 and has only been exasperated by the war in Ukraine. Clean Energy Transition Managing Partner Per Lakander says the consensus view that the worst is to come is wrong. I would say on the gas side, the worst is over from a security of supply situation. Let me stop you right there. Um, I hear what you're saying, but a lot of experts believe that the worst is over for now, but actually worst is to come next year. Absolutely, and that's where I was going to come. I would say that's wrong. Uh, That's wrong, Uh, and and assuming that these gas gas savings uh, remain, because you can see it now, we have really, really cold weather. Mm-hmm. We are still drawing less than uh, typical seasonality. So, so the key thing is that we hold on to the, the demand saving. If we do that, and as long as we have access to LNG, which I would say we, looks very c- credible, it's, we will see high prices uh, for another one, two years. But I wouldn't say on the gas side it's a security supply issue. Power is a bit different. First, let me say, the reason why we have a power crisis in Europe has very little to do with Putin. I would almost say that Putin actually made the situation better. Wow. Uh, so, uh, because, so this is the consequence of long-term underinvestments in conventional, uh, long-term uh, red tape in renewables, and then these political closures of nuclear, coal, lignite, etc. And uh, so, you know, uh, we talked about this last year here, and, uh, you know, it was, you could see it already in 2018, and it started to materialize. What, what I'm saying that is better now is because, A, some of those closures got reversed uh, in, uh, for Germany, for instance. Second, you have this 10% uh, reduction in demand. Now, a deadly winter storm continues to wreak havoc across the U.S. NBC News reports there have been at least 65 deaths linked to the blizzard, including 27 in the Buffalo-Niagara Falls area alone. Now, in upstate New York, officials are pleading with residents to not leave their homes as many roads are still impassable to snowplows uh, snow and emergency services. Now, President Biden has approved an emergency declaration for New York authorizing federal relief for the area. Now, the record-breaking snowstorm has also caused major travel chaos in the United States, stranding thousands of passengers uh, during the busy holiday season. Over 3,000 flights were canceled in the United States as of Tuesday night. That's according to the flight tracking site FlightAware, with the bulk coming from Southwest Airlines. The Dallas-based carrier has canceled more than 2,600 flights, accounting for over 90% of all U.S. airline cancellations. Now, the U.S. Department of Transportation says it is now investigating Southwest, calling its move a scrap to, uh, to scrap two-thirds of its flights, rather, unacceptable. Now, NBC News' uh, Blaine Alexander filed this report. At airport... After airport. Now I know why there's a line. My flight was canceled. This is the picture of an unprecedented travel nightmare. I've been here at the airport all day. 
With thousands of flights canceled again today, more than 80% of them are due to just one airline. While major carriers like Delta, JetBlue, and American together had fewer than 200 cancellations today, Southwest had to cancel more than 2,600 flights. Look at this mess. Everybody over here is pissed. I went to other airlines and everybody's booked up. Everybody's booked up. I can't get out. Southwest CEO releasing this statement tonight. We're doing everything we can to return to a normal operation. And please also hear that I'm truly sorry. Large numbers of scheduled flights simultaneously froze as record bitter cold brought challenges for all airlines. But the Department of Transportation says it's concerned about what it calls an unacceptable rate of cancellations and is looking into whether those disruptions were within the airline's control. Southwest also acknowledged the situation as unacceptable. The airline took the worst hit in part because winter weather impacted two major hubs in Chicago and Denver. But the Southwest Flight Attendants Union points to the airline using out-of-date technology to schedule crews. We've had flight attendants waiting on hold for 17 hours to get in touch with crew scheduling, and it's just deplorable. One ripple effect compounding the chaos, baggage piling up. NBC's Emily Aketa is at Chicago's Midway. Travelers who do manage to catch a Southwest flight are greeted by yet another challenge upon arrival of epic proportions, sifting through this sea of luggage here at Midway to maybe find their bag. We've been in line for two hours. Uh, Ricky's checking all the other flights. Ricky and Emily Jimenez started their journey yesterday, trying to get home to Las Vegas and to their two-year-old son. After waiting four hours at New York's LaGuardia Airport. Some lady walked through that was with Southwest and said, hey, we have 19 tickets to get to Atlanta on a bus. Anybody want to go on a bus ride? We just boarded a 13-hour bus ride to get to Atlanta. They hopped on, hoping for better flight options in a different city, only to find another line and another frustrating wait. Everybody else is in the same situation, so I mean, we're not special. We're just trying to get home. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market-moving news, you can head to cnbc.com. Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Show weekdays on CNBC.